This podcast is proudly part of the Kaiju Ramen Podcast Network. If you'd like to check out more Kaiju and Tokusatsu goodness, go to kaijuramenmedia.com. Him? Shin! Standing by. Complete. Greetings, heroes of the internet. I'm Nathan, and this is Henshin Men, a podcast that celebrates Japanese superheroes and their high-flying and high-kicking adventures. In this installment, I'll be discussing Kamen Rider episodes 74 and 75. Deadly Bloodsucker, give it your all, Rider Kid Core! Shino Kyuketsuma, Ganbare, Raida, Shonen Tai! The Tachibana Racing Club launches the fan club Rider Kid Core, which uses pigeons to send messages to Kamen Rider. Meanwhile, blood banks are being robbed by the vampiric shocker Kaijin, Laos Kules, to be used to create more cyborgs. With Laos Kules gathering an army of blood-drained minions, will the Rider Kid Core and their hero be enough to stop this fiendish plan? Hello, everyone. In case you're wondering why I'm doing this solo, please listen to the little mini-sode that I published before this to get an explanation for that. Also, for those of you who have heard it or whatever, you're just tuning in, forgive me for I am experimenting. This is the first time I have tried to do an episode of Henshin Men on my own, and admittedly, it's been a few weeks since I watched these episodes, or in this case, rewatched them because I had to watch them twice. This has been a lot of delays in the production of this podcast, so bear with me in case I can't remember everything. So, this is interesting here because this is Common Writer really embracing the whole Common Kenny child audience thing. Because now we have the kid core who are basically a fan club of kids who are assisting their hero which to me is kind of weird and I don't know how to feel about it. I don't want to say it's pandering, but it's still a little bit odd. I mean, we've had kid characters before who were helping out, but it didn't seem so weird at that time. I mean, you don't even see something like this in the Gamera movies where you know there's a Gamera fan club of kids. Now there's a bunch of kids who just all love Gamera, obviously, and the Ultraman series eventually got to the point where there's a kid in almost every episode, but there isn't necessarily an Ultraman fan club or something like that that has direct involvement with him to help him find monsters or bad guys or whatever. It's weirdly meta, and I don't know how to feel about it just yet, but kind of go through my notes here. So we have more blood sucking. That is the trope that the show is now obsessed with, blood sucking. So now we have, I think he's supposed to be like a louse with the blood sucking I just, just like I said, the show is obsessed with vampirism and is just trying to dress it up in some new form. Admittedly, when this particular kaijin of the week first appeared, I thought he looked like Matongo, which if you know your Toho kaiju films or just their science fiction films, their tokusatsu films, 
You'll know exactly what I'm talking about. It's also went by the title Attack of the Mushroom People, which is honestly kind of an insult to the movie. It's way better than that. As far as I care, it's a J-horror classic and a Tokusatsu classic. You owe it to yourself to watch it. I've talked about those things before with Travis because we're both fans of that sort of stuff and we've had mushroom monsters on Kamen Rider before. Oh, but good grief. The scene where he shows up and murders everyone in the hospital, at least he says he murders everyone in the hospital. We've talked before about how the original Kamen Rider started with some horror elements and despite the fact this is supposedly a kid show that now has a kid core we get one of the most horrific scenes I feel like in the show, or at least the most horrific one we've had in a while with this scene, which was, whew, I wasn't entirely prepared, even though at this point I should be prepared, but whatever. Oh yeah. And I see here my next note, uh, the common Kenny force. That was my little nickname for the writer kid core. In fact, going forward, I think I'm just going to call it the uh, common Kenny force. If anyone wants to make some fan art for that, like a logo or something, I would love to see it. Common Kenny Force. It'll be great. But, you know, another trope that this show is mildly obsessed with that we get again in this episode, mind control. Good grief. Uh, Travis and I have said it before on this show. I really do think we're at a point now where they're running out of ideas. They're running out of ideas because they keep falling back on certain tropes, one of them being mind control. Good Lord. But at least in this case, it's in line with vampire tradition. Because in this case, the nurse that Los Cules, Los Cules, attacked at the beginning of the episode is now his minion, and we find out that anybody whose blood he drinks becomes his minion. If you know anything about certain vampire lore, they can turn anyone whose blood that they drained into either ghouls or, like I said, mind-controlled slaves or something like that. If you read the original Dracula, he had, quote-unquote, three brides who were three women who had been his victims, and so he kept them around to do things for him. So it's wearing its influences on its sleeve, but it's just kind of odd in this context, especially since our heroes figure out that she's not on the side of the angels because she doesn't have a shadow, which I thought that was because uh, you know vampires originally were these supernatural beings, so that'd be why they wouldn't do it. But when we're dealing with scientific vampires, which I think is what this is supposed to be, although we have seen Chucker delving into the occult, so I could be wrong on that. I don't know. It's not specified well enough. It's really done this way to amplify the horror and move the plot along, which how a lot of Japanese media works. And then we have... <laughs> Oh my gosh! If you know about your about conspiracy theories and you know especially the really dark, scary ones about secret societies and all that, this is definitely in line. But it's again kind of presented in this campy, cheesy sort of way, which is we find out from a Shocker Goon or Doctor Shocker Goon. <laughs> That's what he looks like. Seriously, it's a Shocker Goon wearing a white uniform who performs surgeries. It's just funny to me. We find out that he wants, quote-unquote, young, the young blood of children 
to continue with his experiments and make more cyborgs. So in case you forgot, Shocker's evil. Well, Shocker's evil. Keep that in mind going forward. Then the common Kenny force, they know about Shocker? I don't know how they know about Shocker. I mean, we've joked before that Shocker is the least secret secret society ever, but still, they know about Shocker, and again, I feel like that's just being metatextual there. <laughs> There's a scene where Taki's trying to chase down the goons and help somebody out. He's in the a second-floor apartment, but he's like, stairs, stairs are for suckers, and he just jumps down and fights all the goons, because why not at this point? But then, in one of the, the most shocking bits of the entire episode and this might come back in my awards i probably should have checked my awards list before i started recording this we see los cooles sucking the blood of children welcome to common writer a show for the kids where children get their blood sucked by a vampire monster and then we get children of the shotgun part 127 because we get more mind-controlled children. Again, this show is falling back on a lot of the same tropes that it's been doing for so long, and it's getting a little bit old <laughs> at this point. How many times can you do this? Uh, the, oh, yeah, Nurse Ghoul. That's what I called her. You know, the, the aforementioned nurse I was bringing up. She has cartoon sound effects when she pokes her head around and sees Taki, which is just odd to me. It kind of undermined her scariness, even though they put her in some nice makeup, you know, with some eyeshadow of evil and things like that. Make her look scary, but then it's like... Wah, wah. You know, it's, it sounds like Warner Brothers cartoon sound effects there. <sighs> but then we start seeing blood showing up everywhere. There's blood that pours down the wall from behind a picture. We see Los Cules spitting acidic blood at Common Rider later. It is just ridiculous and gross. And again, for the kids. We also find out that the cyclone has wings and it can fly because why not at this point? Seriously, why not? If Superman can invent superpowers, we can just conveniently add ridiculous upgrades to a super motorcycle. Why not at this point? And then in one of the funnier bits of the episode, Kamen Rider jumps on top of basically a giant delivery truck that is being used by Shocker to transport supplies to their hideout, and all he does is cling to the top of it, and nobody bothers to look up to see him on the roof of this truck. I'm like, come the frick on. Nobody ever just thinks to just glance up or get some sort of sense that there's somebody up there Shocker, this is why you don't rule the world. You can't even teach your goons to look up. I'm just saying. Now, in all likelihood, Kamen Rider would have beaten all of those Shocker goons, but I'm just saying. And then, oh, some more blood imagery stuff. Los Cules, when he's defeated, we've talked before on this show about how you know, the deaths of these kaijin are kind of unintentionally hilarious. And we get another one here where he literally dissolves into a puddle of blood foam. And then he combusts. He's uh, flammable. <laughs> As kaijin deaths go, eh, I've seen worse. <laughs> you know, it's Common Rider. It's 70s tokusatsu. What were you expecting? What were you expecting? And one line that I considered for the best line award 
It was at the end of this episode because now we have the characters narrating the previews for the next episode. And in this case, it was Ambassador Hell. And he's talking about the monster in the next episode, which we'll start talking about here in a moment, where he said, you can enjoy watching the Rose Cyborg, Rosa Ranga beat Kamen Rider to a pulp. I don't know why. I just found that a little bit funny. But speaking of Rosa Ranga, let's get to that next episode, shall we? The monstrous poison flower, Rosaranga, secret of the terror house. Dokubana Kaijin Bararanga Kyofu no Ie no Himitsu. Shocker's new Kaijin Rosaranga disguises herself as a beautiful woman to lure Taki into her house and mind control him with her thorns. As the writer Kid Core investigates, she does the same to them. Now Hongo must battle not only Shocker's army, but Rosaranga's squad of innocent victims. <laughs> Oh boy, here we go again. More children of the shotcorn, more mind control. Ugh. At least the kaijin this week is kind of interesting. I called her Proto Biolante. Also, every Rosaringa has its thorns. Yeah, I mean, come on. It was asking for it, all right? Classic rock references are why people, well, one of the reasons people come to this show. Just saying. That's why it's the title of the episode. Anyway, Proto Biolante. For those of you who are not familiar with the kaiju fandom, in 1989, Toho put out a Godzilla film called Godzilla vs. Biolante that was a plant monster, one of the most horrific monsters Godzilla's ever fought. It had two forms. And in the first form, it looks like a giant rose that had a little mouth with teeth in the center. I know that sounds kind of silly, but look it up. It's an amazing creature design. And like I said, one of the most terrifying things that Godzilla has ever fought. All of that to say, Rosaranga, when she transforms into her kaijin form, looks eerily similar to that first form of Biolante. So being a hardcore Godzilla fan, that is immediately where my brain went. So, Jumping right into this, this is a very Taki-centric episode for what I can remember, and that's welcome for me. I wish the show would remember things like Taki's married, you know, remember how his marriage was one of those things that got thrown off into the memory hole, you know, and we still haven't gotten it back out. The show still hasn't gotten it back out, but we do open with some pretty nice action here from Taki, which I'll talk a little bit more when we get to the awards. And now, and I guess this just makes sense. The common canny force, they have little writer ascots now. You know, looking a little bit like Common Rider 2. You know, nothing against that. I do, I'm like Travis, I do prefer Hongo's more scarf style neck gear, we'll say. But I guess it does just make sense. But it's really just, it's really just showing just how metatextual the common canny force is. They're basically an in-universe fan club that, as far as I know, if I'm wrong, please let me know. If I'm correct, please confirm it, listeners. There's probably fan clubs like this in real life in Japan in the early 70s. And as we started seeing just how this network works, where they're using, it's kind of weird. I don't know if it was just because it was cool in the 70s or limitations of technology or whatever, but they're basically using homing pigeons. They're tying little notes to them. 
you know, saying where they spotted the monster or whatever, and then it just flies back to where the writer girls are managing everything. And it reminded me again, here's a Godzilla connection for you to it. It reminded me of the Godzilla network and Godzilla 2000 where people were monitoring Godzilla at all times, a bunch of nerds <laughs> with the early internet and their computers and they're talking to each other like, oh, I saw him over here or I think he might be over here or something like that. It's a little bit like that, but in this case, they're not watching for Common Rider. They're telling Common Rider when they see problems that specifically shocker problems. I'm surprised they don't just spam <laughs> the headquarters of this thing with a bunch of rando things like oh my gosh somebody got mugged or you know whatever <laughs> i'm getting bullied at school help me common rider which would have just been hilarious at that point treating common rider like he's this genie who's gonna show up and save them at any point that actually would have been a kind of a funny thing to do just to you know as like a little lesson to you know show the kids hey don't bother people in authority unless it's a real emergency you know stuff like that i don't know I'm overthinking this <laughs> way more. <laughs> but one of the things that's kind of weird is that Rosaranga has these poison thorns and they can take out Taki and they can take out Tachibana, but they don't take out pigeons. There is a point where the pi where I, the pigeon gets hit by one of those thorns, but it keeps flying and it still gets back to the headquarters to let the writer girls know what's going on. It's a little inconsistent. Either that or that is one tough pigeon. Just saying, one tough pigeon. Maybe that pigeon's good. No, they have had a pigeon kaijin. What am I talking about? This common rider. Every animal in the world's been turned into a kaijin <laughs> for this show. Uh, and I, one of the things that's kind of interesting, I would say, about Rosarinka's human form is that she lives in a mansion, which looks very Western, and she wears a dress that looks very Western as well which I think speaks to just how westernized Japan had been becoming, especially at this point, you know, it's only three decades, less than three decades, really, after the war. There was a lot of westernization that was going on before the war, thanks to Emperor Meiji, but there was that got kicked into overdrive after the war. So to see this, you know, this very western dress on this Japanese woman, who's actually, like I said, a kaijin in disguise, I found kind of interesting, and I wonder... If it's one of those things, we've talked about it before. Japan is a very homogenous culture. They've always had a little bit of trepidation, if not flat out fear, but at least a little bit of trepidation with foreigners. Especially if you know Japanese history, they don't typically deal well with foreigners. Now, they like America, even after the war. You know, At least overall, they do. There's always been at least some tensions between America and Japan for various reasons. But typically... They will use things that are foreign to indicate something is not quite right, I've seen in a lot of Japanese media. Because, again, Japan's a very homogenous country. And I think that's the same thing that they're doing here. Here's a Japanese woman wearing very Western clothing. That is meant to tell you that something is not quite right. At least, that's how I'm reading this. If I'm wrong, please let me know. So I can share that feedback with listeners in a future episode. Maybe it's the English major and me overthinking things. Very possible. <laughs> oh, yeah. Theme of the week, Shocker Minions Without Reflections. 
we're doing the va- kind of like the vampire thing because I think Rosaranga, even in her human form, doesn't have a reflection, which is again meant to show that she's evil. But again, it's a very much a vampire thing. I don't know why it's happening here, unless again, given that we have established that Shocker delves into the occult, maybe that's why. Yeah, I don't know. I think we're just supposed to just assume a lot of things at this point. It's a lot of '70s ultra gets to this point has got got to that point where they don't give a proper quote unquote proper origin for the kaiju. They just show up, you know, or the alien. If it's an alien invasion sort of a thing, they just show up and they just do bad things, and the Ultraman has to stop them. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, this note here. Rosa Ranga's weapon of choice is basically really sharp roses. Well, I should say roses with really sharp stems, and she throws them at people. And I just wrote down, this is where Tuxedo Mask got his rose darts. <laughs> if any of you are familiar with the anime or manga Sailor Moon, you'll know what I'm talking about. As weird as it sounds, I've actually been watching that on recommendation from my friend Bex, of the Redeemed Otaku podcast. It's one of her favorite things ever, and I do have a magical girl character on the film vault, so I figured I should probably partake of some magical girl media, and I will admit, I've been enjoying Sailor Moon quite a bit, and I will say, this is unironic enjoyment. Maybe you'll demand that I turn in my man card, but you can't have it. You can have it when you pry it from a cold, dead fingers. You heard me. But, oh, good Lord, Rosarenka scream. Oh, good Lord. That is just her normal noise. That's her normal voice, too. We've talked before about how some of these kaijin have the, make the weirdest noises and not just the usual, like the shocker goons or some of the earlier kaijin. Nope, this one is like, Sounds like a screaming banshee trying to sing. It's ridiculous. <sighs> and then, holy crap! Holy crap! After Taki disappears and all this weird stuff is happening at this mansion, we see Hongo doing science! The show remembered that he's supposed to have the I- an IQ of 300, which is absurdly high, by the way. That would technically make him smarter than people like Tony Stark and Mr. Fantastic. It's absurd. Writers probably should have did a little bit of research on how IQ points work. But it was cool to see Hongo actually doing science, which in true Silver Age comic book style, Hongo dabbles in a little bit of everything and is apparently a scientist and a motorcycle rider, a professional motorcycle rider, because why not, (laughs) while being a superhero. And then, yes... Yes, yes. As you heard in the plot synopsis, we once again have Children of the Shockhorn, part 178. (sighs) Now I'm wondering if these children merely exist to to become mind-controlled by the bad guys to create predicaments for our hero. Because they just keep getting mind-controlled. Good lord. Stop it, guys. I get it, Shocker. You're evil. You mind control the common Kennys. But guys, how much do you really need to keep doing this? Do you really need to keep doing this? Sheesh. And then later on after they save Taki and they, you know, they cure him of whatever poison that Rosaranga put in him and 
you know, to mind control him and all of that sort of stuff because, good Lord, we love mind control in this show now. He goes back pretending that he's still under mind control, and I can only describe Taki's wardrobe for when he goes back as game show host. Like, the most outrageous six doctor levels of... of game show hosts like picture the wildest maybe even tackiest game show host attire you you can think of that's how he's dressed it was just ridiculous and then as a bit of plot convenience to make sure that we can keep this to 25 minutes you know the shocker leader just has magic writer sense and just always knows because the rest of the villains are like aha hongo is dead and then the shocker leader just pipes in and says nope he's not thank you sir thank you I mean, if you're so good at detecting it, why do you need everyone else to kill him for you? I'm still a little confused. I haven't been spoiled about the Shocker Leader yet. I'm curious to see how that pans out. So we'll see. Uh, We do get some new writer moves in these two episodes. We had the writer dropkick last episode. This time we get the Rider Screw Block, which I'm not sure what to make of either of those, or at least the writer Screw Block is just weird. The ending in this episode is really abrupt. Rosaranger's gone, and uh, cut to Hongo riding a motorcycle with the announcer saying that he won. Okay, we're done. Moving on, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, same writer time, same writer channel. That's what all of these episode previews are starting to feel like now. So there you go. If I missed any details, like I said at the beginning of the show, I'm sorry. It's been a couple of weeks. <laughs> Going forward, these will be more of immediate reactions to the episodes as opposed to several weeks after the fact i promise so now it is time for the trademark henshin man awards which i stole from myself for the power trip i don't know how that works and michael you can keep saying all you want that they're perfected on the power trip but you know whatever helps you sleep at night i understand man i totally get it Totally get it. All right. So first up, we have the Henshin Kick Award for the best stunt or fight scene. And I gave this to when Taki flips a goon over his back. And then the goon then immediately goes into judo flipping him. It's an amazing piece of martial arts choreography. And the fact that stuff like this is being made on a TV budget, even though the budget's increased, obviously, now because the show's gotten really popular. Travis and I have talked about this before. There are points where it does feel very cinematic and movie caliber. And it's it just let it sink in that this is done on 70s television. You didn't see stuff quite like this on American television from the 70s, at least from what I've seen. And then next up, we have Takatoku for the best special effect. And I gave that to, I talked about it already, when Los Cules, uh, Los Cules, Los Cules, not sure how to say it. Let me know, listeners. You know, leave me some comment. Leave us some comments. Send us feedback. You know, use our contact information in the episode description to let me know how to properly say this thing's name. But it's when he dissolves into the puddle of flammable blood foam. We like the dissolving effects in *Common Rider* on henshin men. They usually make for some weird, but also very entertaining tokusatsu. And then we have coming at you for the best line. And weirdly enough, I gave this to one of the writer girls. I can't quite remember which one. That's a detail that's been lost time. <laughs> but it was being said to Choco, which is, I believe, if I remember correctly, 
is the new writer girl who is obsessed with food. That is her entire character, at least so far. She's obsessed with food and apparently has the metabolism of an anime girl where she can just eat whatever she wants and not gain an ounce because that's how these things work. Yeah, she'll still remain thin and pretty. And one of them says to her, are you ever not working that mouth of yours? (laughs) Because she was eating while they were trying to organize the messages they were getting from the common Kenny force. So there you go. I thought it was funny. Admittedly, I was struggling a little bit to get a best line because usually a lot of times you'll get some nice snappy one-liners from Kamen Rider or the Kaijin of the Week during the fight scenes. That has been happening a lot less, and I'm a little disappointed. Again, a little worried that the creative team was running out of ideas at this point. And then... On we go to WTH. What the henshin for the craziest moment. And I gave it to the fact that we have Kaijin of the Week sucking children's blood for the kids. Right. You'd never see anybody try to get away with that. (laughs) On American television now, let alone back then. I'm just saying. All right, and this brings us to Minute to Henshin It. This is where I give my final thoughts on these episodes in one minute or less, starting now. So I've already been talking about it a little bit. I am a little bit worried that the show is getting a little tired with its own formula. It's recycling a lot of tropes. And I'm not entirely sold on the common Kenny force. I am curious to see how prevalent that is going to be going forward. It feels more metatextual than anything else. It doesn't exactly fit within the framework of what the show has been doing It doesn't quite fit in-universe, at least not to the extent that they're doing. If this was just like a little club that a bunch of kids put together, that would be fine. But now they're directly assisting the hero. I mean, it's kind of like the Shadow, where you would have his network of basically spies and formats or whatever, which were made from people that he had saved. Now, that would have been an interesting angle. Maybe it's a bunch of kids that have been saved by Kamen Rider, and this is how they're paying him back. That would have been kind of cool, actually. There you go. So, we will, uh, I should say, I will be continuing my journey through the original Common Rider going forward. So, in the meantime, thank you for listening to Henshin Men, a Tokusatsu Appreciation Podcast. You can find links to all of our social media in the description of this episode. You can listen to Travis on the back catalog of Kaiju Weekly. And you can listen to more of me on the Monster Island Film Vault and the Power Trip, a journey through the Power Rangers franchise. If you found some enjoyment from this podcast, please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Podchaser. That would be absolutely amazing. And until next time, what am I going to say? I promise you I have not tossed Travis into the henshin bin.
This podcast is part of the Kaiju Ramen Podcasting Network and is copyright 2022 Kaiju Ramen Media LLC.